How many people, after last week's message, have actually been praying, God, give me one person? Every single one of you should be praying. If you missed last week's message, listen to it. It's on YouTube. And, and, and this is something we need to take seriously. Evangelism is something we need to take seriously. Outreach is something we need to take seriously. And if we will not come to a place, and, and I, I covered this last week, an athlete who will not run the race is not an athlete. A Christian who will not run the race, are they a Christian? And I know it's easy for us to say, but I've surrendered my life to God, I've made him Lord of my life, that's it, but there's so much more. And God says the mission for us is to not just finish the race, but to cross the finish line with as many people as possible. And if we will not cross that line, if we will not uh, bring people with us, see, because God set us a mission, he said, your job is to make disciples, your job is to reach the lost. And, and the prize of the upward call, when we stand before God and God says, well done, good and faithful servant, I wonder whether he's going to say, well done, you made me Lord of your life, or well done, you did what I asked you to do. And if we look in 1 Corinthians 9.24, we covered this last week. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I remember when I was at school, we looked at this last week, uh, of, of having to enter a race. And, and I ran many races when I was at school. I used to love the short sprints. I used to love the high jump, uh, the, the long jump. There was a few things that were, were my area that I thrived in. And every single race, I would run to win. I would hope that every one of us ran races like that as kids. Because you don't run to just run. Unless you know you're going to lose, then you might give up. But for me, it was always a challenge. Can I beat the big guy? And I'm competitive by nature, so I want to win. But Paul looks at this and he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And just around your tables, I want you to look at these, these four questions. They shouldn't take too long to answer, so I'm only going to give you a couple of minutes. And I'll leave the questions on the, on the, on the screen there. But why did Jesus give his life? And secondly, once we're saved... What did he command us to do? Why are the unsaved valuable to God? And why should the unsaved matter to us? So I'll give you a few minutes around your table just to talk over these before we go on. Why did Jesus give his life for us? Who wants to answer it? There was a lot of talking, so there should be some answers. <laughs> Set us free from our sins, exactly. When Jesus gave his life, he did it to save us from an eternity without him. Once we're saved, what did he command us to do? To make disciples, to share, to go into all the world. The Great Commission is something that he's given us to do. Save the lost and make disciples. And we've covered that over the last 12, 18 months. And making disciples is something that, uh, as I said, as we came out of COVID, God said, focus on that. Make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. 
And that's going to become a theme that we're continuing to, to push through because it's actually the Great Commission. And every year we come up with a, a mission statement. And last year we stayed on birthing because that's what we felt God wanted us to do. But we could in theory say every year our theme is make disciples. Preach the gospel. Why are the unsaved valuable to God? Because he loves them? He actually gave his life for them. They're value, valuable to God because he paid the price of his own life. If you've ever been saved by somebody, you are extremely grateful for what they've done. Uh, when, when I worked with the ambulance service, we'd, we'd do things and help people, and quite often they were just extremely grateful. You gave me another chance at life. And God gave his life for them. They matter to God. So the last one, why should the unsaved matter to us? If we're already saved, we're already going to heaven, why should the lost matter to us? Because they matter to God. That's exactly right. And this needs to be something that we just get so deep within us. They matter to God, so they have to matter to us. Our 10-year goal, we covered this last week. How many people remember how many we want to see saved in the next 10 years or 9 years now? 2,000. 2,000 saved, baptised and discipled. Any place, any state, any time. Our job is to be active all the time. And like I said last week, when we were in Melbourne, we prayed for a limousine driver. We could have said, well... We're in Melbourne, we're on holidays, I'm off duty. But when God says, I need you to pray, there is no off duty spiritually. And if you look at the statistics, I can't remember how many it is, but there's, there's so many thousand people dying across the world every minute. So many people going to hell every minute. We can't afford to just give up. And last week we looked at, at, the, at the whole concept. If, if one person will pray and say, God, give me the name of a person you want me to reach this year. Just one person. And then God gives you a name and you pray for that person. Then you connect with that person intentionally. You don't, you don't just pray and go, well, God gave me the name James, so I'm just going to pray for James for the next year and hopefully somebody will reach out to him. No, no, God, who do I know that I can reach? And when God gives you that name, you pray for them. You pray for them. It might be a family member. It might be somebody at work. But you pray for them. You connect with them. You have coffee with them. You just talk to them. You build relationship with them. How can I do life with you? How can I just do life? My mission is salvation, but I want to build relationship with this person. And it's through relationship that I look for opportunities to talk about God. It's through relationship when that person is sick that I can say, actually, God heals. Can I pray for you? And all through this time, I'm continuing to pray for this person. And there might come a time where I can invite them to a friend's house and, and a, a group of Christians, we can sit there and they go, what is it different about you guys? Well, let me tell you about God. And, and we reach out and we just look for opportunity and we look for opportunity and we allow God's time. We just continue to pray. We continue to be obedient. The time might come, you can bring them to church. The time might come, they're saved before that. But you bring them and you pray. And when the time comes that they say, I want to know about this Jesus you serve, and they get saved, you then continue to pray and you disciple them. 
And you might bring them in with other people, but you disciple them. And then over time, you say, hey, let's do the same again. And over 10 years, for us to reach 2,000 people, how many people have to start that process? Four. Only four people are needed to say, I want to be part of this, God, I'm in. For us to achieve 2,000 people if we only save one person per year. But the reality is it doesn't take that long. I shared last week that Nathan actually sent a text message to a friend of his and said, you need to watch this service. They watched the service, they got saved the same day and now they're evangelising for God all within a period of several months. It doesn't take a year for God to use you to change someone's life. But you have to say, God, I'm in. Because the lost matter to God. And that leads me on to, uh, to today's message, decoding your spiritual DNA. The reality is, as I do everything, we looked again last week, Matthew 28, Jesus said, it's imperative that you know this, I am with you always. So when you're talking to somebody, you're just, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you. You don't do it on your own. And, but we get our mission, we get our direction, we get our purpose from God. And looking at DNA, the purpose of DNA uh, is to, to feed uh, information to ourselves. And uh, we found out uh, several months ago that, uh, that Adam and Heather were going to have a baby. We, got, we have the opportunity to celebrate their wedding again uh, this week, thanks to COVID uh, being over. They were able to replan, have a proper wedding. It was a really wonderful day. But they revealed the sex of the baby. And we've been waiting and wondering, is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? And, and they cut the cake as part of the ceremony and they pulled out a pink slice. <laughs> and it was, it was a, real, a real time for us to celebrate. Well, that's one question answered. It's going to be a girl. What colour hair? Adam's mousy brown with a red beard. Heather's, Heather's blonde. What colour eyes will they have? <laughs> I won't say she'll be blonde with a red beard. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what are the things that make up a child? What, what are the, the DNA structures that, you know, obviously boy or girl comes from that, but colour eyes, uh, hair, characteristics, personality, all these things uh, come from our coding. And over the last 12 months, we've had so many uh, ups and downs, so many suddenlies that have been thrown upon us. And uh, like we started the, uh, the year last year with, with a wedding that was very sudden, because of COVID, because of the borders closing, it was very, very sudden. They had to be married tomorrow. <laughs> Daniel had to move state tomorrow. And, and, and all these things were, were really, really quickly uh, you know, put into place. But God's never surprised at the suddenlies. You might go, I suddenly found out. God knew all along. God knew COVID was going to come into place. God knew Adam and Heather were going to have a girl. God knew that you were going to exist because God purposed that you would exist. And the DNA of a person, the coding of a person, you look at this under a microscope and you think, how can that even be? Well, I don't think it's even under a microscope. I think it's, it's been created computer, uh, with a computer. But the coding of a human being is in that. Something incredible. And the coding in your body 
Each one of us has about 30 trillion cells. Some of us may carry a few more cells than others. <laughs> but we carry on average about 30 trillion cells. And in our bodies, every one of those 30 trillion cells has a job to do. Every cell has a mission. Some cells help us detect light, others to see, others help us touch, some cells help us hear, other cells carry oxygen, some help us digest food, and there's over 200 cell types in your body. And can you imagine a cell is created and it reports for duty? You're going to be an earlobe. Cool. Why, does it, why is that so cool? Because I matter. You're going to be part of the kidney. You're going to be in between the little and second last toe. <laughs> have, <laughs> not the fungus. <laughs> How many of you have ever stubbed your toe? I remember one night the alarm went off uh, for, the, for the church and I jumped up in the middle of the night and as I walked out, Robin's bike was uh, leaning against the wall in the hallway and it slid down slightly and, and as I walked out, I kicked it with my little toe, right on the tyre. Gripped my toenail really nicely, but my foot didn't stop. And I suddenly went to bed, I was in a lot of pain, I went to bed and next, I thought, this doesn't feel right, so I, I turned, and I'd ripped my whole toenail out. Tiny thing about this big, extreme amounts of pain. And the recovery time was slow. And I'm hobbling along, and every time we injure ourselves, doesn't matter where it is, I've got a tiny splinter after the wedding the other day moving, I got pricked by a thorn. For several days that hurt. Every cell plays a part. And when you feel a part of your body is injured, you recognise that part of the body that you haven't recognised. But every cell matters. And every cell has a job to do and the job is given to it by the DNA. So the coding, when a cell is formed, it is assigned a role, it is assigned a part to play. And it's so long, I love this, the, 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 the DNA coding is about three billion letters long. You have, how many cells did I say? 30 trillion cells in your body, Every single cell has a coding that is about three billion letters long. And somebody said, if you were to sit down and read that coding out, one letter at a time, three letters per second, 24 hours a day, non-stop, you would be reading for 31 years. Every cell has an incredible code in it. Your body is working over time, producing information. Imagine how many cells there are, how many DNA codes there are, how much information your body is calculating all at once. And some really clever people try to tell us we came from an explosion, <laughs> that we are by chance but we come from a God who is incredibly intelligent, yeah. 
who is mind-blowing and who is absolutely awesome. So think about this. If every cell in your body has a purpose and we are a part of God's body, then every single one of you has a purpose in that body. And if you hurt, the rest of the body hurts. Like I said, a tiny... I couldn't even see the splinter to remove it, but every time I touched it, I knew it was there. And every single one of you have a part to play. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26, says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptised into one body by the one spirit, and we have the same spirit. We are all a part of God's body. Yes, the body has some different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body seem, that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honourable parts that do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honour and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. I love verse 18 that says, But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part where he wants it. You are a cell in God's body. You have a coding specifically for you. You have a purpose. If you have a coding, if you are a cell with a code, you have a purpose. If you are a cell in God's body with a code, you have a purpose. Every single one of us have a purpose in God. Some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. That was verse 22. So we often look at ourselves and say, but I only do this, but I only do that. The part that I play is, is really quite tiny, but God says, you're necessary. And it doesn't matter what God, is, uh, what God has for you to do, he wrote a code for you, which means you are intentional. You matter to God. So let me ask you this, when did you begin to matter to God? Somebody said before, before we were born, not when you were born, not when you got saved, but before. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price before we were born. We matter to him before we were born. So if you matter to God before you were saved, then obviously all the unsaved matter to God. They matter a great deal to God. And if we're a part of his body and they matter to him, they must matter to us. 
And if we don't have that tug in our heart for the lost, then the first thing we should be doing is saying, God, give me a heart for the lost like you have. Give me a compassion to reach out and save people. I don't hear a lot of amens. But that needs to be the cry of our heart. God, I want to see the lost saved. I want to see people come into relationship with you. And Jesus tells us to preach the gospel and make disciples. That's the mission that he gave us. But he didn't just say, hey, here's a mission, go and do. He actually modelled this mission himself. He caught the 12 disciples one at a time. He went after them. He went into their world. He connected with them where they were. He talked to them and he accepted them, but he fed them with a vision for change. And they responded. He didn't just focus on the 12. He reached those people that others didn't want, the sinners and the tax collectors. In Mark 2, 15 to 17, it says, Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if God called the sinners to repentance, the people that he needs to connect with are the sinners. If God calls the sinners to repentance, the people he expects us to hang with are the sinners. If we're only going to be doing church stuff and only going to hang out with Christians and only, uh, only be with our group here and say, I don't need anything else, then we're failing. Because God says, I need you to reach the lost. And you can't reach the lost if you won't go and get them. Who loves fishing? How do you get fish? You go fishing. <laughs> Which means you go where? Closer to the fish. If you want to catch fish, you have to go where the fish are. If you want to see the lost saved, you have to go where the lost are. And that doesn't mean you, you get involved and, and live like them, but you've got to live where they are. We've got to reach them where they are. And we've, we've, we've looked at making disciples right across the church. We, we have these programs about making disciples but they've become training grounds for Christians. But discipleship starts with the lost. A disciple must be a discipler. It means you have to reach the lost first. Our discipleship programs have to start with the lost in mind. Rather than being a program that trains Christians to go out and do whatever, we have to start with the lost in mind. Every cell has a purpose. You have connections with people that I would not have. You meet with people that I will never meet. Steve's a chaplain for the Salvation Army and he travels all over the state. He will connect with people in rural areas that I will never, ever see. And yet there have been times when, when we helped them move house, we went to their place and we connected with people that he connects with. And now we've become connected to the same ones. I will not connect with everybody in this state. I will not connect with everybody in Kingborough. 
you all have people that I don't know. And if you look on Facebook, you might see the friends list and you see mutual friends and other friends. And often our mutual friends are quite small in comparison to the rest of the friends. You have a big circle of people around you, most likely the unsaved. So start praying, God, who do you want me to connect with? Who do you want me to reach out to? Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you or assign to you the desires of your heart. And we've often looked at this verse, if, if, I'm, if I'm happy before God, if I live my life and, and just honour God with everything I can, God will give me whatever I want. And that's not what that verse says. That verse says, Delight yourself in the Lord, be soft and pliable in God's hands like Play-Doh or putty in the hand. Allow God to shape you. When God says, I need you to stop doing this. But God, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. No, there's nothing wrong with it, but I need you to stop doing this. I need you to now do this. I need you to talk to this person. And as we allow God to shape us, he will start assigning his DNA code to us that, that is specific for us. Every cell in the body is different. Like I said, there's 200 cell types and there's 30 trillion cells in our body. So there's a whole lot of cells that have a purpose, potentially different to yours. But if we come before God and say, God, what is it you want me to do? Then God will assign his code to you. In fact, he's already assigned his code. He'll just reveal to you what some of those letters are. Who, who here has ever had a foot or a hand or some part of your body go to sleep? What's the first thing you do when that happens? Why do you shake it? Why do you stomp on it? Why do you do that? Why do you inflict pain? To wake it up. Because going to sleep is not right. When my foot is asleep, there's blood flow not getting there. So I have to make sure that, that blood's getting to that area. I'll, sh- I'll, do what, I'll, I'll go through the pain if I have to, but I need to get blood into that area. We do what we can with our body. If you've got a splinter, you don't not touch it. You dig in and you get it out. You put up with the pain because the short-term pain actually has a long-term benefit. And as born-again believers, we are created by God to function. And if you say, I will not function, then you are failing God. And God doesn't want a part of his body to go to sleep. Who's part of God's body? Yeah. <laughs> As I was studying this, I had, a, I had a crazy question, and I've been thinking this whole message in terms of DNA and cells, uh, and so the, the, the physical body with the DNA coding with the cells, every cell having a part to play, our spiritual body, we are cells coded by God with a part to play. Everybody would agree with that? Okay. I had this crazy question go through my mind. If a cell's function and purpose, yours and mine, comes from the DNA that it's encoded with, what happens to a cell when it stops responding to the DNA code? And I thought, what happens? And I looked it up and I found this. At a cellular level, when a cell's DNA becomes damaged and cannot be repaired, cancer occurs. Let's let that sink in for a minute. If we do not respond to the DNA, or the DNA link is broken, cancer occurs. 
I don't want to be someone that God says, I need to cut you out. I need to remove you from my body. Matthew 7, 9 says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This isn't a principle we're unfamiliar with. If you have cancer, you go to the doctor and if he can cut it out, he'll cut it out. If he can treat it, he will treat it. But everything is done to remove the cancer, to wake up that body part, so to speak. And the benefit for us as Christians is rather than going, oh, I'm a cancerous waste, what am I going to do? God wants to cut me out. No, no, the benefit of being a Christian is we can come before God and say, God, I ask you forgiveness because I've failed you. And God gives you his radiation treatment and you can get back to work again. Psalm 139, 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. It's a prayer we need to pray every day. God, is there anything in my life that displeases you? Is there anything in my life that caused me to be separated from your DNA code that stops me from doing what you want to do? And none of us are exempt from that. I am far from perfect. I have to pray this regularly. God, is there anything in here that you need changing? Show me because I want to be molded by you. I want to be useful for you today. 1 John 1 9 says that we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not a complex thing. If we recognize the problem, we say, Father, I ask your forgiveness. I ask you to cleanse me. I want to go again. Fred Astaire used to sing a song. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again. And if you, you make a mistake, God, I'm sorry, I ask you to forgive me. You pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again. And last week we talked about our mission being to, raise, to, to reach 2,000 people by 2030. And for us to start praying about one person. God, who is that one person you want me to start praying for? Who is that one person you want me to reach? We've all been given God's assignment. We've all been given God's coding. You are a valuable cell in his body. The lost matter to God, so the lost matter to you. Private Desmond Doss was a soldier who walked into the bloodiest battle of World War II, specific region, with nothing to protect himself except his Bible and his faith in God. A devout follower of Jesus and a conscientious objector, Doss enlisted as a medic and refused to carry a weapon, even though he was tormented by his fellow soldiers and even senior officers for not doing so. <clears throat> the fighting took place on the Halish Maida escarpment in 1945. The battlefield, located on top of a sheer 400-foot cliff, was fortified with a deadly network of Japanese machine gun nests and booby traps. The bombs and gunfire were so intense that it was known as the Reign of Steel. The escarpment, nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge, for the treacherously steep cliff, was the key to winning the Battle of Okinawa. The mission was thought to be near impossible and when Doss's battalion was ordered to retreat, the medic refused to leave his fallen comrades behind. Facing heavy machine gun and artillery fire, Doss repeatedly ran alone into the kill zone, carrying wounded soldiers to the edge of the cliff and single-handedly lowering them down to safety. 
Each time he saved a man's life, Doss prayed out loud, Lord, please help me get one more. By the end of the night, he had rescued an estimated 75 men. The always modest Doss reckoned he saved about 50, but his fellow soldiers gauged it closer to 100, so they decided to split the difference. What a prayer. Lord, help me get just one more. Before you die, can God get you to get just one more? Bill Johnson once said, Jesus' primary mission is summed up in this one line. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That was Jesus' assignment, and it's your assignment as well. God's purpose in saving us was not simply to rescue us and keep us busy until he ships us off to heaven. His purpose is much bigger. He commissioned us to demonstrate the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, helping to transform this planet into a place that is radiant and saturated with his power and presence. Don't ever see yourself as unnecessary, as I don't matter, because you have God's DNA code in you. His blood flows through your veins, so to speak. That's one of the lines in a song. And people might say, his blood doesn't literally flow. Well, God has changed our DNA. And and you have a purpose to play. You have a role to play. And, And the thing is, you were somebody else's just one more. If you're saved, somebody else paid the price to get you saved. Why? So that you, in turn, could get just one more. And just one more. And just one more. Because by the time 2030 kicks in, I don't just want to see 2,000 people saved. Yeah, I'd love to see this church full, but if we're considering our mindset is much bigger than here, and it's across the globe, how do we connect with people across the globe? How do we do that? By 2030, if we can see that figure, and it continues to grow, what's going to happen by 2040? If it only takes four now to reach 2,000 with one a year in the next nine years, using multiplication, how many are we going to reach? In theory, the whole world should be able to be saved in a very short time. And yes, people need to make choices, which is why we need to be saying, God, who is the one more you want me to go after next? And God might give you five names. That's awesome. Because we have the ability to reach more than one person. Get five people saved, run a home group, disciple them, reach out and connect with others. God has a plan for you and you are an integral part of his ministry. So I want to encourage you, let your prayer, let your cry be, Lord, help me get just one more. Let's all stand. I just want to ask if there's anybody here who needs to respond to this. Last week we shared the importance of reaching out, finishing the race, bringing as many with us as we can. And and I've gone on another week on this, and who knows, we may do more of this, but we have to get that cry within our heart, God, give me a heart for the lost. And you might be struggling with that, saying, I actually don't have a heart for the lost like I should have. I'm more interested in, in being comfortable. I'm more interested in 
in connecting with people and growing myself because I know I'm not perfect. I need to grow more. But God says, don't just focus on you growing. Yes, that's important, but you need to reach out and connect with others as well, particularly the loss. And you might say, but that's an area that I'm weak in. And I'm just wondering if there's anybody who wants to raise their hand with me because I know it's an area that I struggle in who says, I actually want to respond to this. God, I want you to shape me. If that's you, raise your hand. Hold it up nice and high. Like I said last week, this isn't just for you to respond and say, yeah, we've got so many hands up here. This is accountability before God. That you're saying, God, I need to change. And I know there's people here who have, have a, a heart to reach the lost. That's awesome. But there's people here who don't. And so God, do a work in me. And I just want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you that I was somebody else's just one more. And I raise my hand before you today to acknowledge my struggles in reaching the lost. And I ask that you do a work in me. I ask that you shape me. Give me a heart for the lost because I know that discipleship starts with the lost. I give myself to you afresh and my heart's cry is, please, Lord, just give me one more. Father, we thank you for every person here today who's, who's raised their hand, who says, God, I want to go out and, and be the person you need me to be. And even if you didn't raise your hand, you say, but I already have the heart of an evangelist, that God will use you as well to reach even more. Father, we are your children. This is your church. This is your community. This community holds people that you are dear to. And Lord, our cry again is, please, Lord, give me just one more. Lord, as we leave this place today, give us connections. Give us God connections that we connect with the lost and we say that was a God moment. Lord, give us the names of people that we can start praying for. And if you don't know any lost, then start getting out of your comfort zone. Start reaching out with people that are, that are beyond what is comfortable for you. Because Jesus became very uncomfortable for you and I and for the lost. And so, Lord, our desire is to honour you with every part of our being. We praise you, we bless you, we thank you for everything you've done for us. And Lord, we ask that you use us to shine your light into those around us this week and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.